Hey folks, this is a little bit different today because this is pre-recorded. On Thursday, which is my today, uh, Christy tested positive for COVID. Um, and also we've had a few members of our church that I've been around who tested positive as well. And so we just felt like for your sake, it might be better if I didn't come today. Sunday, your today. <laughs> so welcome back to uh, our third week of the year, this third week of this series we're in called Focus. And I hope you've been enjoying the content of this as much as I have. So far, we've sought to lay the foundation for our focus. I think at the beginning of the year, it's always a good thing to get our focus in the right place. So in week one, we talked about focusing on the good things in life. Um, there's certainly uh, plenty of things out there that are bad, that can bring us down, that can be discouraging and depressing. And the world can't give us the things that we really need, things that we can only get from the Holy Spirit that will help us focus on the good. Paul calls us to be constantly thinking about these things rather than the worldly, temporary things. Now, last week, we looked at the story from Matthew's Gospel where Peter and the other disciples were caught in a, a storm on the lake. They experienced numerous different emotions and reactions, ultimately leading Peter to step out in faith and walk to Jesus on the water. What an amazing story. And we saw firsthand that what happens when someone loses their focus on Christ and instead focuses on the things around them. We call that getting distracted. Now that the foundation for our focus is laid, I want us to take this concept of focus a step further. You see, the greatest inventors of all time succeeded by failure. That's right. The award-winning poet Maya Angelou once said, you may encounter many defeats, but you must not be defeated. In fact, it may be necessary to encounter the defeats so you can know who you are, what you can rise from, how you can still come out of it. And I agree with her on this. This has actually been proven to be true for the most successful people. You may not see all the failure behind their success, but it's there. For instance, Sir James Dyson, and that's right, you've heard that name before, vacuum cleaner Dysons. He was the inventor of the bagless vacuum cleaner, among many other things. He once said, what I've learned from running is that the time to push hard is when you're hurting like crazy and you want to give up. Success is often just around the corner. In business, he discovered this to be true. It took him 5,126 attempts to get that vacuum cleaner to where it would work properly. But by 2017, his brand sold over $1 billion worth of product. Trial and error, failure and focus, never giving up because he had a vision for his future. Through all the struggles, he continued to push forward. Now, I'm sure there are many times where we could have chosen to focus on the past failures 
and simply give up. However, he was able to keep moving forward because he knew that once he had improved the product, the feeling would be amazing. Sir James Dyson and many others like him had a choice to make every day of their lives. Am I going to choose to be focused on my past failures or on my future success? The ones I will still read about today are those that chose the latter. Similar to these men and women, I believe we have the same choice in a relationship with Jesus. We know about negative thoughts and distractions that they'll try to weigh us down. But today I want us to learn how to focus on our future. This is not a future we can imagine for ourselves. It is not even one we could achieve for ourselves. You see, far too often we are focused on our past failures and the immediate struggles. We get down on ourselves and convince ourselves that we can never live up to God's standards. Many people just quit trying. They give up before they ever come to see the fruit of their efforts. I believe today God's desire is to help us understand the importance of walking with Him every step of the way and allowing Him to direct our steps. It is important to never give up and to have a vision for a future with Jesus. Even more important, we need to align our plans with God's plans for our future. And this is the big idea for today. God's plans for your life are better than your plan for your life. Every faithful follower of Jesus has failed in the past. We must focus on the future and not on our failure. Focus on the plans that God has for us and not on how we have let Him down. So before I break down a few different key elements involved in focusing on your future, what does the Bible say about our futures? If you have a Bible with you, turn it to Jeremiah 29, 11. Very familiar passage. Uh, you can also follow it along uh, on the screen here. But these words are the words of the prophet Jeremiah in the middle of a letter he wrote to the exiled people living in Babylon. And here's what he had to say to them. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. You know, I could preach a lot from this one verse, but for today, I want us to focus on one key element in it. God promises He wants to give us a future. I wonder how many of us have tried to create a future all our own. We're so often tempted to dream uh, that future and, and bring it all about by ourselves, thinking that we have the ability on our own to make these things happen. Jeremiah was writing to a group of exiles who didn't have much hope. And so these words promised them God had a plan. And today I need you to understand that God has a wonderful plan for your life. But sometimes it's hard to believe, isn't it? 
It often doesn't make sense to keep trusting his plan. But believe me, friends, when I say God's plans are much better than ours are. In Isaiah 55, verses 8 through 9, the Bible tells us this same thing when the prophet says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways or your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Once we're able to live this truth, we'll begin to move out of God's way. Friends, some of us have been praying for a move of God in our lives. However, for God to move in our lives, we have to move out of His way sometimes. We need to relinquish control and let Him do the work. And what I mean is that you have a a plan for your life and you're determined, but your plan may not be fitting into God's plan. Now, many different things tend to keep us wanting to be in charge. Things that put us in God's way. You see, when you're trying to be in charge, you are in God's way. Now, this may prevent Him from doing something incredible in and through us. And so, let's talk about these obstacles to getting to our future. And the first obstacle is our past. Sometimes we dwell on our past so much and our past failures that this gets in God's way of taking us to the future that He desires. The truth is, we all have a past. When I say past, I'm talking about the things we're not proud of when we look back on our life. I mean, all the things that cause shame and guilt because of past decisions. I know this is hard to believe, but while I was in high school, I was a pretty shy guy. I mean, with the girls, I was so scared. I didn't. I never asked a girl out except for once. I did ask this girl to go to the prom with me. In fact, this very girl, she was a very sweet girl. She was a cheerleader. And she came to me during football season and she asked if she could wear my varsity jacket while she was cheering because it was pretty cold outside and she didn't have anything in the right colors to wear. So I guess she knew nobody else was asking me for my jacket. Anyway, I said, sure. I I think my mom was a little worried about me because she knew I didn't date anyone. Maybe she thought I was just too shy. So after that first game where the girl was wearing my letter jacket, I got home after the game and my mom saw me. She said, Tim, you know, that girl is very cute. You should ask her out. And I said, Mom, she's a nice girl. (laughs) Now, I'm not exactly sure what I meant by that. I I, I certainly didn't mean I didn't want to go out with a nice girl, but it it was the only thing that came to my mind. And I did ask her to the prom, but she rejected me. See, Mom, I did ask, and she said no. But she didn't want to go to the prom because she thought bad things might be taking place at the prom. She was a nice girl, so I was right. But I wish I could say that I was always that innocent with girls. But in my desire to have someone love me and care about me, I often compromised my values. 
I often acted in such a way that I'm not proud of today. I, I would maybe put a young lady on such a pedestal that she became a god to me. And every relationship would fall under the weight of my failure. It wasn't until I got to a place where God knocked some sense into me that I realized what I was doing. I failed because I didn't put God on the throne of my heart. And when I finally figured that out, I thought I was done worrying about finding a wife. And guess what? That's when Christy came into my life as that person. And what solidified our relationship was that we began to study and pray together. It took us to a whole different spiritual level that I'd never had before. You know, it's weird, but when I look back on it, I felt like I had to make everything work out. I wanted to be in charge without letting God be in charge. It wasn't until I gave that up and surrendered that that I finally found what I was looking for. Chances are you have some sort of story from your past of which you're not so proud. The Israelites got to a similar place in the Old Testament where they simply did not know if they could trust God anymore. In Exodus chapter 16, we read this story uh, about Moses leading the charge for Israel. I mean, they were set free from slavery and oppression they had experienced in Egypt. However, in verse 3 of that text, we hear some complaining going on from the Israelites, and it's directed at Moses, God's appointed leader. And this is what we read. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. They, there we sat around pots of meat and ate all foods we wanted. But you have brought us out into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. Man, can you imagine Moses, <laughs> how he must have felt? You see, this seems to be the other side of the coin of our past. For some of us, because past scars and frustrations weigh us down, we have trouble trusting God for the future. For others of us, maybe like the Israelites here, we remember the past as better than it actually was. And we'd rather go back because at least we knew what to expect. You find a lot of people that get out of prison, and they've been institutionalized, and they, they decide, I was better off back there than I am with my freedom. Trusting God with your future is a scary thing, isn't it? You don't know exactly what it will hold, what you'll have to walk through, where He's going to take you, what it's going to cost you. There are many unknowns which is why we're tempted to move toward comfort. In addition, if we aren't careful, our past comfort may have the potential to hold us back from our best future. It's a risky business walking with God and allowing Him to guide our steps. Even if we aren't too focused on our past and we don't allow this to hold us back, there's still the temptation to press pause on God in the present. I wonder how many of us 
uh, when we read verses like Jeremiah 29, 11, have been tempted to only focus on our future. In return, we convince ourselves it's all right to move God out of the picture right now in the present. This brings me to my next point. Because sometimes our present can get in the way of God, can get in the way of our moving forward towards the future that God has for us. You see, the future God wants to bring you into has a role to play in your life right now. What are you doing now to prepare for that future? God doesn't want to just be the God of your future. He desires to have your full attention and obedience right now. But here's the truth. Some of us have sought to control our right now knowing that God's got our future. There was actually a well-known person in Scripture who seemed to do the same thing. In 2 Samuel chapter 11, the Bible tells us the story of David when he was king over Israel. There was one day that King David sent his army off to go to battle, but he stayed in the city. And that seemed to be a change from his past behavior. And while he was in his palace, he went up on the roof and he went over and he looked down at a neighbor's house and saw a woman named Bathsheba, and she was bathing. And in a moment of weakness, he sent his servants to get her, and they brought her to him, and he slept with her. The story goes on to tell us that she became pregnant and David tried to hide his sin. He was not feeling remorseful at that moment. At that moment, he didn't ask God to forgive him. He was just feeling threatened. If people found out, his reputation would be ruined. Bathsheba's husband Uriah was a faithful soldier in his army. Now, what David did was indefensible, but what he did next is just unbelievable. He attempted to have Uriah come home and go visit his wife so that people would think that this child was Uriah's child. And when Uriah refused to do that, he gave orders to have Uriah abandoned on the battlefield and killed in battle to try to cover up his sin. Now God was able to call David's sin out, and David was held accountable. But God still used him in mighty ways. However, in that moment, David was not focused on the covenantal promise the Lord had made with him just chapters before. He was not focused on the future that was to come. He was only focused on his own selfish desires in the present. And similar to David, we're called to be representations of God to the world around us. And when sin gets in the way, it has the potential to distort how those around us view God. Giving up control to God does not just happen in our future, it happens every single moment of every single day. Think about those moments in your everyday life where you need to give up control to God. When somebody cuts you off on Fire Tower Road, 
What goes through your mind? How do you respond? In that moment, are you submissive to the will of God or you just want to tell somebody what you think? When you see a need, do you stop and help? When you feel the prompting of the Spirit, in that moment, do you stop? Do you listen? I want to play this brief video because I think this young lady understood the idea of allowing God to control her and use her for good. What a great example of giving up control in that moment. Amanda felt in her spirit God wanted her to go back. And this is what it looks like every day for us. In order to get to God's future for us, we have to move out of His way in our present. We have to be willing to obey in the moment. Speaking of acting and humility, this leads me to the third prominent factor that often keeps us in God's way when He's trying to lead us. And that word is pride. Our pride can stand in the way of God taking us to the future that He plans for us. As most of you know, I basically grew up in a single-parent home. My mom and dad divorced when I was around six years old. At some point, my dad was out of our lives for about seven years, and I saw him again when I was like 13 years old. I still remember the day I was at Christian summer camp at Roanoke Bible College. I was walking around the corner of one of the buildings, and there he was standing right in front of me. I knew who he was immediately. And honestly, I was thrilled. But this did not mean that he's now going to be involved in my <clears throat> everyday life. He bought me a baseball glove. He took me home from camp. My mom was gracious enough to allow all of that. Now look, she never spoke ill of my dad around, uh, around me. So I didn't know all the issues they had. Now, over time I would learn, but over the remaining years of his life, we would see him off and on. I took Christy and the girls up to Richmond to see him once or twice, and I think the last time, I think Sydney was maybe a year or two old. Uh, Alyssa would have been five or six, something like that, maybe four or five years old. But on one of those occasions, I asked my dad, Dad, why did you leave us? Why didn't you stay in our lives? I mean, because, look, I lost a lot, but I think he lost even more. I'll never forget his response. He said, pride. You see, my dad had been a preacher. And he was a very popular preacher, very gifted and talented preacher. But he felt he could do whatever he wanted to do. And so he had affairs and he abandoned his family. And for the most part, he died alone. It is sad for me to even think about the tragedy that pride brought my family, but also brings many families. And maybe it's even bringing disaster to your family. Husbands and wives not willing to say, I was wrong, 
I'm sorry. Please forgive me. We have to win every battle, even if it means we break our vows and destroy our family. Our winning results in our losing. We refuse to submit to the will of God. I'm going to do what I want to do. It's pride. Israel faced the same struggle in Joshua chapter 7. The wall of Jericho had fallen. The victory is won due to following the Lord's commands. And next, they came to a little town called Ai. Joshua, the leader of Israel's army at the time, sent some of the men to check out the land of Ai before attacking it. And in verse 3 we read, when they returned to Joshua, they said, not all the army will have to go up against Ai. Send two or three thousand men to take it. And do not weary the whole army, for only a few people live there. Therefore, Joshua sent three thousand men, and wouldn't you guess, they lost the battle. They just had this great victory. And now they lose to this underdog. They wanted to do it their way. They didn't want to seek out God's leading on how to win the battle. So they first decided they knew best. And then someone decided they wanted something they knew they shouldn't have. And they took it anyway. God explained it to Joshua in verses 11 and 12. Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They have taken some of the devoted things they have stolen, they have lied, they have put them with their own possessions. And that's why the Israelites cannot stand against their enemies. They turn their backs and run because they've been made liable to destruction. I will not be with you anymore unless you destroy whatever among you is devoted to destruction. In the investigation, they discovered that a man named Achan had done what he had wanted to do. Verses 20 and 21 we read, Achan replied, it is true. I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel. This is what I have done. When I saw in the plunder a beautiful robe from Babylon, 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, I coveted them and took them. They are hidden in the ground inside my tent with the silver underneath. One man's pride brought down a nation. One man's pride can destroy a marriage. One man's pride can destroy a family. One man's pride can devastate a church. Friends, our pride or our overconfidence will often try to get in the way of what God intends for us to do in us and through us. Which is why, once again, this entire concept of focusing on your future comes back to humility. God desires we play the background rather than the foreground of our lives and our stories. For Israel, that was difficult. Friends, please do not miss this. They were trying so hard to put God at the top of their priority list when in reality God wanted to write 
the list. Some of us have been doing the same thing when it comes to both our present and our future dreams and hopes and aspirations. We will try to make God our number one priority on our list. We'll put Him right up there rather than allowing God to create the list. How do we get out of God's way? Look back in Jeremiah 29 Verses 12 through 14. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. And I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And you will bring and, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. God tells us that He isn't hiding from us. He isn't so far from us that we can't reach Him. In fact, all we need to do is genuinely seek Him and we will find Him. Seek His will for our future and He will reveal it. If we put our future in His hands, and trust Him for it, God will take care of it. I want to encourage you to seek out God's plans for your future. Be obedient to Him with your present. Submit to His will and cast that pride out of your heart. Now in your bulletin, there is an insert. And I want you to just look at it, look it over, take it home with you. Think about all the things that you have on your priority list for today and for tomorrow and for your future. Now, if you look at this, it says, God's plan for my life. And then it's blank all the way down to where it's signed. Are you willing to sign this piece of paper not knowing what God has in store for you today or tomorrow or in the future? I believe if we're going to learn to focus on our future, we have to get out of God's way. We have to check our ego at the door. We have to remove God from our priority list so that He can create the list He wants us to live by. Let's pray. Father, I am guilty of being in Your way on many occasions. Help me understand that you want the very best for my life and that you are the only one who knows what that actually is. Allow me to deepen my trust in you. And forgive us, Father, for failing to submit to your will in our past and in our present. And help us in our future to trust you and allow you to write our priorities. Thank you for the hope we have in that future. That hope is in Christ, not in our own abilities and not in our own perfection. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.